one. And we are recording episode 768 with Miss Kate Archer, who I think you retweeted. You gave me like a very kind retweet. And I think I just asked you to do my podcast and you said yes. And I normally throw that out at people all the time. And they'll just be like, oh, I can't do your podcast. I'll, but every once in a while, I just kind of throw it at someone random to see what happens if they just seem remotely interesting. And you were like, yeah, I'll do it. I, and I was, yeah, there was a little arm twisting. But, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I might have I I called you out. And, yeah, well, people don't realize how shy I really am. Yeah. So could you please introduce yourself to everybody listening and tell them and myself a little bit about you? All right. Uh, my name's Kate Archer. I am a ballet teacher for around 40 years. Uh, I've lived many states, many countries around the world. Uh, got uh, a degree in teaching ballet pedagogy at Indiana University. Went to University of Oklahoma for choreography in my master's and taught uh, several different states and here I am. What it, what you said, uh, what is it, pedagogy? Pedagogy, yeah. That's the teaching of. That's the study of. It's a, it was a very um, tough curriculum for teaching ballet, teaching so, dance. Very few colleges these days actually offer that type of a program. Uh, when I was going to college, uh, it was probably eight, nine out of ten colleges when you went for dance, you had to gear it towards being a teacher rather than a professional. Uh, now it seems um, it's flip-flops, so it's more um, professional and less teaching. I've seen kids come out of college and say, oh, yeah, I know how to teach. Well, they had one semester. Mine was very intense. So it's teaching how to teach. Correct. Yes. So how, how would that, for someone that has never uh, done anything remote, I think I've danced, I think I've danced at like a wedding or two shit faced and that's probably about it in my life. <laughs> what, what all does that entail? Teaching how to, how to teach dance. Correct. I, uh, I transferred halfway through my program. I started out in Virginia, Virginia Intermont, which is no longer open and danced with Bristol Ballet. Um, and I completed my four-year degree. I took 23 credit hours per semester for four years. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know that was intense until, you know, I met mathematicians and they just oh, bow down to me. I was like, well, this is what we did. We danced our butts off. Um, uh, the first thing was to be immersed into terminology because ballet sprouted out of France. So ballet is in French. We have a couple of words in Italian, um, one in uh, Russian. And then there is learning the history of ballet uh, going way back. Uh, ballet is over 400 years old. Uh, there's a discrepancy in which country actually started the first ballet school. Was it in France? Was it in Italy? But it was around 1582, then 1610 in that area. Uh, so it's over 400 years old. But the uh, history of ballet, 
the dance went way back to primitive uh, uh, earth, earth, earthy, um, I don't want to say native, but ethnic dancing. There we yeah. go. Ethnic dancing around the world and how it proceeded through, um, actually through the church, through the Catholic church, uh, rituals, um, the discipline of dance through the courts system. And I'm ta not talking legal courts, um, kings and queens, because um, the courtiers, they were the ones who uh, were the dancing people. And then they decided, hey, let's uh, start a specific dance school. Uh, there was also um, intensive going to children's ballet schools. We operated seven children's schools throughout Southwest Virginia and Tennessee. Uh, we observed classes, uh, 36 hours of observation through six levels, um, psychology classes, uh, doing psychological profiles on the students that we uh, observe, uh, demonstrating before, this was all before junior year, um, when you actually became a student teacher and a teacher within those schools. What does, what, what do the psychology profiles what is that like? <laughs> My students ask me that all the time. They go, why are you writing in your notebook? Uh, I was trained that um, after every class uh, or at the end of the night, if I'm teaching five classes, um, I write notes on what I taught that class. Uh, if you're teaching 18, 25 classes in a week, uh, you don't want it all to run into mush. Uh, you don't want to be teaching the exact same thing over and over and over. Uh, you want to keep the kids' um, attention. And um, so I, uh, I also keep track of what music that I use. So I'm not ending up using the exact same music. And the kids are bored with the music. So, you again, you want to keep their attention. Um, so... I am one who likes to get into the heads of my students. I want to know how they are perceiving and receiving the information um, and how they process that information. So the psychology, general psychology and child psychology was a big part of that. Um, if I had to write a profile, of course, dance is very physical, so we had to write up their physical attributes. Um, I'm always assessing people the minute they walk into a room. I can tell by the shape of their legs and the length of their body what they are really good at. Uh, in all fairness, I've never seen your torso or your legs, Tommy, so I wouldn't be able to tell you if you could jump high or not. Damn it. Or how much flexibility you would have. Um, uh, but if, um, I'm doing an audition or students are coming in for the very first time into a class, I, uh, with the very first combination at the bar, they're standing at the bar, they're just bending their knees, they're bending forward, they're rising up onto their toes. I can tell with, before that combination is even over how much training they have had, how many years they've been in ballet what style of ballet? Is it French? Is it Italian? Is it Russian? Is it English? Is it Danish? Um, is it American, which is the whole uh, Heinz 57 
uh, hodgepodge of things and uh, what they are capable of doing, how much their flexibility is, who can jump high, who needs work. So now is there something like some things like, I don't know, like, like basketball, like you can be great. You can be fast. You can be skilled. At the end of the day, I mean, Muggsy Bogues was like five foot three. He got in the NBA. But at the end of the day, even six foot is like, that's the shortest guy in the court, right? Yeah. And like, you know, when I was in middle school, there was like a one six foot player and like he dominated the league. But there are some things like that where you are kind of destined, not destined for greatness, but your path is simpler. Like if you're seven foot two and if you are four foot eight, you're probably just not going to get to the NBA, unfortunately, despite any efforts. Is that the same with ballet or are there any people who walk in and you categorize them as X, Y, or Z and they just shatter all, all forms you try to put them in? And it's like, oh, wow, like you are the four foot tall NBA player and then vice versa. Are there people that come in and you're like, oh, wow, this person was born for ballet and then they're probably like me and they just trip over their own feet? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Um, when I first started in, in, went to college and this was in the seventies, um, just as an aside, I think you once talked about your mom. And so I'm older than your mom. Uh, so, you know, the generational, uh, era that I'm coming from when I went to college, there were very few uh, performing opportunities for dancers. And I think that is also why so many of the college programs were geared towards teaching versus um, becoming a pro dancer. Sure. Uh, if, if you had it, bam, you were out, you know, out of college. You went right to a performing, you know, professional company. Now, I mean, there's schools almost on every corner in a city um, the kids have so many uh, performing opportunities now. There are dance conventions and competitions. Um, there are smaller uh, performing troops, not per se a professional company. So there are many, many opportunities. Some of the kids I've taught uh, recently, and they, they graduate high school, they start out in college, end up at uh, working with dance conventions where they have competed at and they get uh, what we call industry jobs. Um, those are where they are good enough to become a judge at a competition, to be a teacher at a convention, or they are dancing for things, you know, like backup for Beyonce or um any of those industrial type shows where you go to a car show and you see this, you know, really cool dancers come out and you're like, that's fine. You know, but the car. Um, so that, those are industry dancers. Okay. Now but those are paid also. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's what I was going to ask is when you say that go professional, is there, I would imagine there's, I would imagine there's kind of, yeah, like you're professional, almost like your Olympics. And then is there, yeah, in, in, in your industrial, you're a backup, you're a backup dancer, you're at right. a, a halftime show, you're at where you're, where you're maybe not, you're maybe not the crown jewel of the show, but it is, it is valuable. Is there, what's the difference? Is the industrial like you can go get a paycheck versus the, you know, 
you want to go pro in a sport, you can go make a lot of money. There's really not any money in like the Olympics, but to people that love the sport, that's prestige, right? And I guess maybe you, you get sponsorships, but there's prestige in that. Is that the same with dancing? Is industrial like maybe more pragmatic, like you go get a paycheck versus rising to the very top? I don't know anything about this, so I'm, I'm truly coming in just mm-hmm. shooting in the dark. Yeah, ballet is a different animal versus uh, jazz, tap, contemporary, hip-hop, dancing, uh, because it's more pure. It stays within the guidelines of uh, the curriculum that was set down uh, hundreds of years ago. Um, So dancers, if they're going to become a professional ballet dancer, they go right to a company uh, versus other dancers who are going to, um, you know, like they the, be the backup dancer until, uh, you know, they become something. You know, we don't have those Gene Kellys or those Fred Astaire's that we had. You know, I just wish there was another resurgence of movies um, where we could see that uh about every 10 years we get movies that spotlight dance Mm -hmm. uh in the 70s there was a turning point with with barishnikov and ann bancroft shirley mcclain um you know barishnikov is you know our our greatest greatest male dancer in the world um every time i see a a little clip of him i just wow i forgot how technically pure this man was uh you know he's in his 70s now so we can't say is mm-hmm. um and then in the 80s flash dance came along um you know so every decade we have more movies that spotlight a specific type of genre now that's great on one hand uh it piques the interest and little girls come and they go oh i want to be you know, I want to take dance. And so the dance studios are flooded. Our, our classes become flooded with uh, new students. Um, but then at that same point, we our, our prices go up. The cost of tights and, and leotards and skirts and shoes almost double. So I started out... Uh, in the early 70s, uh, my first pair of point shoes was $12.50. That's when you dance on toe. Um, now they're, they can be $130. Yeah. And whereas professional dancers can go through those in two days. Two days? Two days. Good Lord. Yes. All right. Uh, they, they break it down uh, break down the shoe enough to um because it's got to be quiet and soft no one wants to hear a dancer dance unless they're meant to you know like the hip-hop or the jazz slams the floor or the tap of course now to someone like me who's got a completely untrained eye Uh because you you said a great technical i had had a friend in college a brilliant science-minded guy went on to become a doctor but he was really good at bass and i remember he used to and I'm, again, just I'm mentally challenged with all this stuff mm-hmm. as, as a bio major. But I remember he always used to he would teach me about like or tell me about like, you know, playing the bass guitar. He'd also tell me about like rapping. 
80s and 90s rapping. You know, he'd always make the distinction between like, this is the best rapper and this is the best technical rapper. Yeah. He'd always say like, this guy is the best rapper because he wrote all of this stuff. Whereas this guy never wrote one of his own songs, but mm-hmm. you know, words per minute, he was better. So he was yeah. a better technical rapper. Are right. there things where you have a trained eye and you look at this and you go, that's the best technical dancer. And then someone like me without a trained eye, I look at like Michael Jackson and I'm like, well, there's the guy, there's the best ever. Does, does that, does that carry over? Or do you look at it and you're like, Michael Jackson's got, sure. He's, he's smooth. He's got moves, but technically no, there's no like actual ballet talent in there. Does that make sense? Uh, Like as a question, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I can be reminded of several instances. Um, uh, I was with one studio attending a dance competition, and there was uh, this was up in Michigan, and there was a studio there that was so highly trained in modern dance and just beautiful, and which I envy because I, I took many, many dance classes many years of it in modern dance different techniques and i just i wasn't really good at it uh, not like ballet um so i envy the people that it just comes natural that they can do that um and there was a girl doing a a to me it was a beautiful dance and a teacher sitting next to me goes this is so boring she's just awful why why I just can't understand why they would even spend money to attend this competition. I said her training and her technique and her delivery, she has an innate understanding of modern dance. That means she is so aware of where her body is in space that she fills out the space. Um, Mm. As we learned, you reach beyond the grasp of man. You reach to the four corners of the universe. Um, I said, she's going to make the in the top five out of, there were probably 120 solos. And the teacher was like, no way, no way. And by golly, she was like uh, number four. That, that she, you know, was an overall uh, winner as such. Um, and when you were talking about the difference between a four, three basketball player, <laughs> you yeah. know, and a seven, eight, um, I saw a, it was a modern company. Um, I'm trying to think the fellow's name. I think his last name, sorry, it was Koresh. He was a Israeli fellow and uh, very interesting um, dances that they performed and one of his dancers was humongous this fellow was so tall so much taller than everybody else but he moved with such agility and speed he kept up with the little ones and at the intermission I happened to uh, meet uh, the director and I said who is that fellow <laughs> who is the tall guy oh that's our he's very special I said, I have never seen someone move with such agility and such speed and such quickness. I said, it'll be an inspiration uh, for me 
to my students, you know, from now on, uh, which I tell them, yeah, the little ones, we can move really, really, really fast. Uh, for me, I'm five two. Uh, move very, very fast. Um, but I had to learn to dance with the big dogs. They've got longer legs. They can cross the floor yeah. with much more um, speed. They can, their legs can. They're giant. Yeah, exactly. They can leap farther than I could, but I had to learn to dance with the big dogs. Um, on the same vein, the big dogs have to learn to dance with the little dogs. Uh, they have to learn speed and agility. On that note, is there, is there a different entire, is there like a whole other style? of of big dancers versus small dancers because again i think of big i think of just like giant like there's almost like a whole other energy to it where it's like they may not try to you know like a seven foot basketball player they don't just do what the five foot basketball the five foot basketball players hand on the ball the seven foot guy stands (laughs) under the completely different positions is there like a different style of is one more about kind of giant maneuvers and is the other more about very nimble, quick maneuvers. No, you know, someone not that I have seen or that that I am aware of. I'll, I'll caveat it that way. Um, many companies, many dance troops, they want all of their people to look the same. Got it. So the company I was in in Virginia, we were all short people. Uh, the tallest girl was five six. Whereas New York City Ballet, Balanchine's um, Ballet, he chose tall dancers. I never could have been in that company because I was too short. Um, Now, uh, perceptions are changing and, and judgments are changing as well. So I think they're trying to go for well-rounded, but still for a corps de ballet, which is a group, uh, you know, those would be your backup dancers to the soloist in a ballet like Swan Lake. Um, you want 16 girls all the same height. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you can't have waves of them. So they're all within inches. However, the taller your ballerina, the more that you step up on toe, you're going to rise up yeah. another four inches. So you got to have a tall guy. Yeah. Yeah. To partner with. Now, is there anyone necessarily like pushing the boundaries of ballet? Like every once in a while. Holy you'll, cow. You'll get, you know, you'll get yeah. someone that's good. You get like a good person. You'll get the good technical person. And then you'll just get someone that like comes out of left field. and it, like Almost like an, like an Elvis. Like Elvis probably wasn't necessarily better at, you know guitar or singing but it was just this marriage of everything it was like you know what like right after world war ii and it was like this very you know conservative generation and then you have this guy out there and he's i mean he's basically just having sex the way he dances and you look at him he's this handsome guy and you're like what like you can only imagine what it would be like to see the beatles at shea stadium in like the early 60s and you're like what the hell or like eminem in the 90s you're like who Who's this white guy with like peroxide bleached <laughs> hair, like the real Slim Shady? But yeah. they just they punch something new into the world that's unlike anyone, anything anyone saw before, for better or worse. Is there anyone doing that now? To where they're just maybe they're not even the best, but they're just again like 
if you ever watch that video of like the first time Michael Jackson does the moonwalk, right? You can hear everyone in the crowd just uh, because ev- it was just what yes. it's like. What the hell was that? <laughs> That's the guy just divided by zero. Like, what is this? Yeah. Is is there anything like that like right now? And or can you just not know until it's here? Um. I think they come and go. Uh, you know, there's a couple of ballet stars. I couldn't uh, name them, you know, right off the bat. Um, there's many in what we call the contemporary dance. And that is basically modern dance, uh, which is um, the classical uh, dance without the constraints of ballet, uh, but it was more to classical music, contemporary music, uh, contemporary dance these days is modern dance to cool music. Um, people like Travis Wall is always pushing the limits on, on that. Uh, there's a ballerina astounding Uh, I never take my phone really into class I hate it when teachers you know pick up their phone and stuff but YouTube has been such a a helpful tool because there are so many dance videos on there now that I can just pull something up show them on my phone and say watch this and then we can sit and discuss it um get blown away by a ballerina who's doing jumps on point. She is on her toes, jumping on point, doing, uh, you know, we're used to that. You know, we can switch feet uh, on point. Uh, But she was jumping up and doing what we call beats and then landing on point, feet or legs and land, feet or legs and land. I'd never seen that on point. She did 32. And I showed it to my supervisor one time a couple of years ago. And he goes, but why? <laughs> I said, because she can. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's, you know, you can hear the audience just going, whoa, uh, do what? Yeah. <laughs> there are um, are exciting turns called fuete turns. They whip the leg as they are turning in a standard ballet um, uh, Don Quixote, uh, 32 is the standard fuetes on point, these turns that are on point. Uh, that is the standard that we work for. Uh, and she, there was a Japanese girl who did these every time, uh, well, she would do like three on the third one. She never went down. She never bent her knee. And um, we call it a plie, bending the knee and having a flat foot and then rising back up on point. Um, Those you would do 32 times. Well, every third one, she just stayed up and whipped the leg without going down. And that's like, do what? (laughs) That's, uh, those are particular things that we just get blown away with. Yeah. Why do it? Because you can. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Why? Why dunk from the free throw line? Because, because like the first guy that dunked, it must have been like, why don't you just like put the ball in the hoop? And it's like, because <laughs> you can. It's like a power yeah. move. It's just like I'm going to physically insert the ball. There's nothing you can do. 
Uh, yeah. I'm so glad you've been talking about basketball, you know, because I was at IU during the, the Bobby Knight. Okay, okay. that's probably the only sport that I could even remotely make <laughs> analogies to. So thank God that yeah. you understand basketball because it's the only <laughs> thing I can. Okay, good. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, it's it's there are those things, though. Now. So like you said, when there's like there's a big movie or something and it kind of it instills like a resurgence. Um, but you're saying you you wish there was like another Fred Astaire or something. Yeah. Is it something that can really be brought about or is it something that just, it just happens? Like, you know, again, we can't, we can't say who's the next Elvis. It just, that's kind of the beauty of it is it just comes out of nowhere. It's mm-hmm. like, a, just like a meteor. It just comes crashing down to earth. That's half the beauty is you don't say, well, it's, you know, it's it's the first year of the new decade. It looks like we're going to have a star. And it's like, no, you might not. Does that make sense? Is there so can a can a new Fred Astaire even be brought about? Or is that just like half the half the beauty of it? I think so. And um, I think somebody like uh, Gerald Salente in, inspires me to that. Do you know Gerald Salente? I do not. He is, gosh, you should get him on. He's a um, economist. Uh, he d- talks about trends. Um, uh, he's just a New Yorker and just very, <laughs> he doesn't know how far as hold. Yeah, he just lets it all go. Yeah. And it's just very in tune with trends and how they are going and what he expects to see uh, take place. And he was um, kind of, I, I don't want to say lamenting, but just the culture these days, you know, it's not really a culture. It's disintegrating so much. Our manners are falling to the wayside. Um, you know, kids out of control. They don't have a focus. They don't have a discipline. He said, but we are creating now a resurgence of uh, young people young ones who desire that because they suddenly come of age and find such an ugly culture around them that they look to the past. Uh, They look to Gary Cooper. They look to style and manners. As as Terrence McKenna would say, the archaic revival. Exactly. You reach back into the past and you find a suitable mode of operation and you bring it into the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because their culture, uh, you know, I guess what we would say the 13 to 25 year olds are finding that their culture sucks. Yeah, it's trash. And like I, I'm 31 and mm-hmm. it was still pretty taboo. Say so I graduated college in 2013, graduated high school in 2009. It was still kind of like, it was still kind of badass if you saw someone with like a whole sleeve of tattoos or something. I don't have anything against that. Yeah. This isn't some like pontification about that. But it was still like, oh, that guy's tatted up. Like, yeah, it, it was different, right? If yeah. someone, but it's now, 
you don't even bat an eye at it. And again, I personally don't care. But I mean, like you, you don't even bat an eye at it now. You know, someone you walks in with like tattoos all up or down their neck and face, it, it, you don't even think anything of it anymore. And like, on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's social acceptance. But on the other hand, it's like, it, it's not cool. You know, it's, you're not a rebel to have like neon blue hair and piercings <laughs> through your nose. Like that's not punk rock anymore. If it's what you love, go for it. I don't, I clearly, I like parting my hair and I don't know, being clean shaven. That's just me. I don't really care what's going on around me. I've just kind of always done this, but there is something that I'm sure there are people that maybe the archaic revival, they look back to like some idyllic time of manners and like conservatism and, Maybe they really like that. I can only imagine there's probably a large percentage that are doing it just because no one else is doing it. Just like there are some people that probably love tattoos and uh, polygamy and and dyed hair. There's probably a lot of people that did it too because everyone else shunned from it, and it was just like, hell yeah, I want to, you know, I want to be that that outcast. Yeah, yeah. It, I kind of feel like that's what a lot of it's come from. Is like when you're when you're brought up in a society that really does just kind of shun any sort of like moderation or manners. Yeah. If you're like 15, you kind of want to, I would imagine if I was like, if I was 15 right now, you probably kind of want to like tuck your shirt in and not get a tattoo because that is like the spiked hair and tattoo, right? Is being like, like loving your country and like being a conservative individual, I can only imagine would it be punk rock until, of course, the trend flips, and then in thirty years it will be it will be cool again to get tattoos and have spiked hair. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how we got on this topic. That, hap- <laughs> that happens a lot with this podcast. I've, I have no idea yeah. how we got here. Yeah, and you you've brought up Michael Jackson so many times, and um, that is. Uh, he was my boss's just ultimate, uh, I don't say flame, but someone that she just admired. I've had so on, much. I've had on his publicist before. Um, and then you had, you know, Howard Bloom, and he and I crossed paths was 10, 10 years ago. Um, so the day that Michael died, I just felt this through the universe, this, oh, this heaviness inside, shoot him off a letter and say, I know you're hurting. I think your microphone cut out. Oh, I'm here. Uh, oh, no. Okay. You just pop back in. You, you, you were muted for a second. You were saying something and it muted. Mm. I just, yeah, I just came to the end of my thought. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, yeah, no, talking to Howard and his experiences with Michael Jackson is like you can feel it through him. Mm-hmm. Like you Very can much. feel the memory through him. Mm-hmm. When he talks about like, I think he described Michael Jackson as like someone in like a permanent state of almost like, like almost like semi-orgasm. And like, I don't mean that in some you know mm-hmm. crude way. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a guy that saw like the ecstatic and you can only like you're talking about earlier like psychological profiles you got to know how someone looks at something and that's not to take away from his talent or uniqueness but at the same time like yeah you've got to be perceiving the universe in a whole different style 
to put out what he puts out. Like you're not seeing the world in the same colors I am, you know? You're seeing yeah, like you said, he would show him like a new potential album cover. And it would it would be like he was climaxing. Like he couldn't control it. And he was Howard's like you look at him and you're like, I want to experience that. <laughs> like you touch this art piece and it goes through you like electricity. Exactly. Yeah, that would that is someone like you want to meet. You want to like feel what it, how do they see reality? Are there people like that that you find in ballet? Are there people who that are doing these absurd things? Why? Because they can. Mm-hmm. Are they people that you talk to and you realize oh they're on a different wavelength? Like they're they're marching to, to like the the beat of their own drum. Hmm. I haven't personally run into any of them or or seen them i guess it's mainly because i'm watching you know uh, my students so much and uh, i think you know because i was an underdog i always root for the underdog so i can see the potential in a student immediately um, go to my boss and say, this student needs to be over here, needs to be on a higher level. This student is going to achieve this. And I'm two years ahead of the time hmm. uh, because they can't see it, but I see it in that child. And uh, you know, this, some of them have even told me this. Uh, I remember when you pulled me out and I was in second grade <laughs> and I was so scared and and, and I didn't know they were scared. They never exhibited that to me. But yet, they and their mom will tell me, we trusted you. Mm. We trusted you. You saw something in my child that nobody else did. You know, and to me, you know, that's gratifying. And then on the other side, it's also sad. Yeah. It's like, I can't. <laughs> Why can't anybody else see? Why can't anybody else see this? Yeah, see this diamond. You know, and there's students that I fight for, and you know, it's just hitting this brick wall constantly. Now, are there any people you see outside of dance that you're like you should be in dance? Like, I remember <laughs> my favorite teacher of all time was Miss Carvis. She was my sophomore and senior year English teacher in high school, and I remember. I remember I like I wanted to I think at the time I wanted to do like bodybuilding or something. And I remember she pulled me aside one day and she was like, please, for the love of God, don't go, don't go into bodybuilding. And I was like, why? And she was like, it's nothing against it. She was like, your writing skills are so natural. And that always stuck with me. And I remember when I went to college and I became pre-med, she was like, I'm happy for you for whatever you do. But she was like, seriously, think about writing. Cause she was like, I have students who I, like, I teach to be like you. And and I can't get them to be you. And it's always flattered me. And in a weird way, I think I'm, I'm kind of tapping into it now with the, because I'm, I literally, I just talk the way I write. Exactly. Um, are there people that you like meet or see? Because like you said, you can size someone up. You can see their legs and their right. torso. And you're like that person, right? Do you ever see someone at like a, at like Walmart or something? You're just like, <laughs> have you, do you just be that weird? Do you go up to them or like, have you ever thought about ballet? And they're like, who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> but that's something like i would do like I've, I've met people before i'm like do you want to start a podcast and, you know they're, they're you know they're like you know get off my property i'm like okay but um uh, 
no. Oh, okay. uh, mainly because, you know, for an adult, that's going to be a recreational ordeal. So you would just encourage them and say, hey, no, no, keep fit. Uh, uh, for a child, you just don't walk up to someone and sure. I'm just in very, you know, bound to ethics and integrity that, yeah. uh, but of course, You'll always get, um, you'll see toddlers um, and, and they're just always walking up on their toes. Oh, my child is going to be a dancer. Well, yes, you can get them in dance class, but all kids get up on their toes. Gotcha. Um, just because they'll pick up a pen doesn't mean they're going to write. Yeah, I gotcha. They can all color. All kids can color. Uh, yeah. my, uh, my company director uh, at my first college and teaching school she says you can get anybody off the street you can teach any jackass to dance but you can't make them a professional dancer yeah they're born yeah they're born that way yeah so so let's say even if you didn't approach them is there anyone that you do see it's, even if you just your own internal monologue you see them and you're like like if I, I'm not a basketball coach. If I saw some kid who was like seven two, <laughs> okay. I might glance at them and go, "God, I hope that kid plays basketball." Yeah. Is there like you know like, do you ever see someone like just in some wherever, wherever Walmart or at the pharmacy, or do you ever just see someone and just like instinctively you're like, man, if that person wanted to become a band, they they could be the best. I'm I, usually it's it's other professions. Hmm. You know, I'll see their hands and I go, you should be playing piano. Hmm. Um, perhaps they can walk a specific way. You should go into ballroom. You, because you are uh, the rhythm with which you move, you are innately picking up a cha-cha. You're picking up a rumba. Hmm. That sort of thing. But it's always, you know, a different profession, not per se ballet. Got it. So kind of on that note, to uh -huh. see things and their applicability to other things, what lessons have you learned from, hmm. from dancing that apply to kind of like the meta themes of life? Like there are certain things like that I've learned about how there's really never, there are never really big days in anything. In my life, I've always found it's just consistent. It was, it was working out every day for three years that led to building muscle. It was every once in a while, sure, you ace a test, but it was just studying every day for four years that got me into medical school. Every once in a while, you really crack one out of the park with like a crazy podcast. But really, it's just you go in, you do the work every day, you do it to the best of your abilities. Like, so that's like a theme I've learned. It's applicable to everything doesn't have to be podcasting or weightlifting or being pre-med that's i've learned consistency is there anything from ballet that you've learned that kind of seems like one of those meta themes that maybe you wouldn't pick up from somewhere else like an analogy or or like an interpretation of something that you see is applicable to saving money or cleaning your house or or whatever uh, just the discipline yeah 
I, I would really have to think about that and see where it stems from. Um, sometimes when I'm teaching and I'm teaching a specific combination, I go, now, where did I get that from? Who, what teacher taught that to me that I am passing on down to my students? Because um, I've probably had about two dozen teachers in my life. But I think, you know, it's more external. Um, as I started ballet before I went to boarding school, I went to boarding school when I was in eighth grade. And it was a Mennonite boarding school, a missionary boarding school. Um, so I, that shaped a lot of um, my personal discipline, my spiritual discipline. And it just kind of went hand in hand with dance. Um, you know, and I'm always telling the kids, why, why take drugs when you can get high on oxygen? Yeah. Uh, you get high on life. You can get high on dance. I live to dance and I dance to live. Mm. I've stopped. I got burnt out in my 20s. Um, and I went to teach ballroom. And it was such a corrupt studio that I taught at that I became highly disillusioned with other genres of dance. Um which was a shame because ballroom is so beautiful. Uh, there was one teacher there who was just so smarmy and, and he just disgusted me so much. And he was always on the take, always getting whatever money he could get out of his elderly students. Um, but he pegged me correctly. Um, we were watching a video of a dance, a, um, ballroom competition and all the other teachers were look at her arms they're so beautiful and I'm looking at these saggy things and I go on they're awful oh and they jumped all over me but the smarmy guy said no Kate is a ballet dancer she is a teacher her her discipline of arms is so different from our discipline it's just a different way we aren't right she isn't right but we are right for our two genres. Um, after six months of teaching, I was able to uh, start a program of teaching ballet to the students of those ballroom teachers. And I was so much happier, of course. And after about three months, that smarmy teacher said, you know, day after day, we watched your soul wither and die. We were so concerned about you Jeez. until you started back teaching ballet again. Yeah. I mean, I get that. I mean, you know, basketball in middle school, weightlifting in high school, pre-med in college. And then after my brother died, I, I didn't pursue anything. That was the word. It wasn't that I was drinking or gaining weight. It was that I had no goal. My mom would say I was rudderless, like just a boat with no direction. And when I when I started doing the podcast in December 2019, it was like a light turned back on that had been off for several years. It didn't matter that it was the podcast. I had nothing to do with podcasting, just like I had nothing to do with pre-med or weightlifting. There was an impossible goal. And I throw myself at it to accomplish it. 
and it will take years and years and years. And when I'm pursuing a goal, just one single-mindedly, every other aspect of my life improves. I, I, I sleep better because I'm so tired because I'm just working all day at it. I don't waste time. I don't have, I don't have time to waste. I'm like, I gotta, um, I get more efficient. I'm like, why would I play video games for 10 hours when I could do a third podcast? Like, mm-hmm. and I feel like I didn't have anyone say it to me in those exact words, but pretty much the same, your soul like withering on the vine. Um, I was involved with a spiritualist community for uh, seven, seven years, highly immersed. And I remember it was probably the second time I went to the church and uh, the sermon just stuck with me so much. The, the gist of it was the uh, preacher said, when God calls, what will your answer be? Mm. Whoa! <laughs> I nobody had ever said that to me, or if they did, you know, it was just like, oh yeah, right. Uh, but it, it was it's, it's discernment, using your discernment, and knowing when you're going to get that call, and you got that call, and not to go all Blues Brothers on you, but you you're you're on a, on mission. a mission from God. Yeah, we're on a mission from God. Yes. And, and and you are is because um, you found your voice. And not only that, you are providing a voice to so many others and, and pulling them forward. And I think I wrote in a comment somewhere, you know, it's your insatiable thirst for knowledge that is so enticing, that is so... Uh, you know, as you said, you know, Michael Jackson, everybody wanted to 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 be and touch and feel yeah. uh, what that was. But it's that thirst for knowledge uh, of all things and to present it, set it out there and let the viewer, let the listener decide. Um, take it, leave it. OK, you know, there are some of those. Um, uh, you know, I. I see most of your podcast so yeah i take take some set it in a box all right there i might come back to it um and and i I leave you with uh what um i was trying to think of who it was and i think it was uh, uh dr wayne dwyer is that when when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change change yeah. Yeah. That's that might be the the best compliment I've received about this podcast. I've received I've received some comp that are very sweet and very nice. But that is truly what I'm like at my core. And I don't do it well. And you're you're absolutely right. There's some podcasts that eh, so some of them you hit out of the park, some of them you're like, that sucked. And then some of the ones I think I hit out of the park, people that disagree <laughs> with me are like, that sucked, and vice versa. But what I really am like my most genuine like goal with this, truly like what I try to do in my heart, and I don't always do it well, is to at the very least like hear someone out and hear where they're coming from. Yeah. And just let them give give the old college. If someone wants to come on here and explain to me 
that the sun is actually a giant apple. I'll give you an hour. You can, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'll take it. I don't know if I'll really co-sign it or probably even you know send the episode to a whole lot of people. But if you come on here and you've got an intelligent argument or you can at least make an argument, I'll hear you out. Now, that's an, that's an insane example, but I do try to at least hear it out and put it out there. And I, I'm not always 100% accurate or successful at not tinging it with my own bias, which I obviously have. Oh, yeah, we all do. I yeah. mean, we cannot escape that. Uh, but when you are presenting something through video and audio, and it's going out on so many platforms. Uh, you have a wide audience. You just can't preach to the choir. And yeah. the choir shouldn't constantly, you know, have the same hymn book. Let's shake it up. Uh, let's yeah. turn the hymn book upside down. You know? Well, like you said, change the music for the students dancing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I like using burlesque music. Yeah. Yeah. No, preaching to the choir is boring. I think this. We think that too. Hooray! Yay! Okay. No, I I'll have on. I want to have on someone who's investigating the bio labs in Ukraine and have them say Putin's justified. And then the next day, I'll have on a Ukrainian refugee, and they'll show me pictures of dead people, and they'll tell me why it was not justified. Yeah. To, to me, that's a challenge. Yeah. To hear out <laughs> all of that, that's the challenge. Yeah. And then to still be, and to still try to grasp yeah, it, yeah, and make a you know use your again use your discernment, and still be messed up. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, none of the kids have asked me. You know, well, what do you think's going on there in Ukraine? I was just, well, let's wait for the picnic and talk about it. Then. Yeah, we'll wait. Well, we'll wait. We'll wait. It's. But I think that's exactly, yeah, that's the best compliment ever because that's what I try to do is I try to, like a vacuum cleaner, I try to inhale all of the information humanly possible and then somewhat try to understand it. And I'm so blessed because I get to do that and then pawn it off as a podcast. <laughs> but the reality is, is like, I love talking to people. So like, I get to talk to you and ask you questions about stuff I don't understand at all. And I just happen to record it and put it out there. <laughs> so, And I'm trying to do the best I can. You're you know? doing fantastic. And I did and twist I your arm to come on. And I think you have, you have succeeded wildly. So thank you. Good. And there's so many other subjects I can help you out with too. So well, can... I, I would absolutely love to have you back on. You're Go very... from COVID to Reiki to... You know, chasing cheetahs off your porch. I would, it would be a pleasure to talk about all of those. Seriously, it's some guests you have to pull teeth out of to get them to talk. And uh, you're not one of those people. And that's something I really do appreciate is because yeah. I get to kind of take the back seat a little bit and have them have them talk. But Kate, it was yes. wonderful to meet you. Wonderful to meet you too, Tommy. And I'm I'm blessed to have you in my life now. Well, I'm blessed to have you in mine. And with that, we'll wrap this one up. I will send it to you and we will schedule another one. And right now I am a chronically late host and uh, <laughs> I'm two minutes late for my next guest. 
And I just realized them. I never even sent them an invite. So that's uh, you're seeing how the sausage is made. I have no idea what I'm doing all day, every day. And I pawn it off like I do know what I'm doing. But you're still on a mission from God. Yes, ma'am. We're on a mission from God. We're getting the band back together. Thank you so much. I'll send this episode to you. It'll be up like an hour. It'll be up today. And okay. we'll schedule another episode. And thank you so much. It was lovely right. talking to you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right. God bless.